0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
1: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global.
2: We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning.
3: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
0: What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The
4: I can't believe
0: I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun.
3: Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.
5: Podcasting.
2: Podcasting. Are you recording, Robert? I am yeah Uh, we have to make sure professional podcaster robert evans are you podcasting Uh, i I don't know
5: i don't know but i know that this is the opening of part two of this episode
2: podcasting
5: this is how we're doing it this is what we're doing so this this has started like the episode started i don't know 37 seconds ago according to my recorder like we're in it now sophie
2: Mm-hmm. There's no
5: pulling back. There's no. There's no going back to a world before we opened the podcast this way. Sophie, uh, what is this show? Who are we? Um,
2: I'm Robert. I enter Evans. a fugue state I'm in Robert between Evans. episodes. You're Sophie Lichterman. This is oh God. Bastards the behind.
5: Because this, see, I, I feel like being Sophie Lichterman sounds like a really difficult job. It's really hard. <laughs> I would. Really I would hard. much rather. I would much rather be the other guy. Um... <laughs> Let's do it that way. Let's do it all that right, way. And then right. I just You're have to Robert read this Evans. story.
2: I'm Sophie Lichterman and I'm going to go cry.
5: Okay. Well, Caitlin Durante, how are you doing today?
2: You did. Oh, oh you my said gosh.
5: it. How are you doing on this Durant day?
4: Wow. <gasps>
2: oh my God.
4: <laughs> I am doing... Well, I just had a snack, so I'm not taking the advice of Bernard Bernard McFadden, McFadden,
5: which would be don't eat or go to doctors.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I eat food and well, I, I, um, you know, I I do try to avoid doctors, but not for the same reasons that he did. I believe in science, but, um, you know, I've had I've had some. Problems with doctors in the past, go ahead and listen to Sludge, an American yeah, healthcare story. Out. If anyone wants Check to hear my experience, sludge. uh, so yeah, I, I have more of a problem with, um, just the kind of institution of the American healthcare system than
5: like it's bad individual it's bad. doctors, right? I've, I've known a lot of great doctors, I avoid medical care like the plague, <laughs> um. Although right now that is on the advice of several medical professionals I know who have who have repeatedly told me there is no the 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 hospitals are completely past capacity. We have no equipment. Uh, we have no room to help anybody stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go to the doctor. <laughs> you you can't you can't go to the hospital now. There's nothing for you here. <laughs> you should avoid them because of the plague. Yeah. So, you know, try to eat well, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> be careful on the street <laughs> and just
4: exercise, and then you won't have yeah. to go to
5: yeah. the doctor. It's more like Ugh. it's more, it's not that you shouldn't go to the doctor, it's that we have systematically destroyed large aspects of our healthcare system. Um, and so there may not be a doctor for you to go to. Um, yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. It's after Halloween. I don't know. I don't know what mm. I'm doing, Caitlin. In 1912, um, Bernard McFadden has just come off of the failure of Physical Culture City, which I cannot get over as the name for a col- un- Unbelievable.
4: After all those people committed Physical Culture, culture City treason. treason. <laughs> physical Culture Treason. <laughs> you know, 1912 is also the year that the Titanic sank. So a mm. lot of tragedies happened a lot of tragedy and thank <laughs> you
2: thank you caitlin i'm so I, impressed that you didn't get a titanic mention in part one i'm proud of you
4: well robert you don't said think we'd titanic hit up quite... you,
5: i did but i did as,
4: as a way to like as an adjective for for something else and i really did think about interrupting you and be like and just saying like I'm just really proud Can we caitlin? talk about titanic yeah. but you know i was i decided to respect you well, and, thank you yeah
5: you did n- you did not Brave. you did not commit physical culture treason
4: uh, I, I did not. And you're welcome.
5: You're welcome. Also to me. Um, so, by the way, the Titanic disaster could have been avoided if people had had better physical culture.
4: The, and you know what? According swimming. to swimming,
5: t- learn how to swim, motherfuckers, you <laughs> dead assholes. That's what I say.
4: <laughs> According to the movie, which James Cameron took you know he does his research (laughs) into making that made into making that movie Mm. pretty accurate there is a scene that takes place in a gymnasium that was on the titanic
5: yeah i've never watched it don't intend to
4: robert i can't believe that you don't want to watch titanic
5: i watch one movie and it's the mummy And I I would watch Titanic, but it's giving me some serious mummy vibes. So I feel like I've already seen it. Look, you have one of those many ripoffs of the mummy, like Saving Private Ryan or the crying game. All 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 shades of the mummy.
4: While we're on movies, I did want to bring up how the story of um, what's his name? Bernard Bernard. (laughs) It's
5: a ridiculous (laughs) name to make for yourself.
4: Bernard. That would be like if I just was like, I'm going to go by Kate. Kateley, from now on.
5: Kate Lar, <laughs>
4: just taking out the last letter of yeah.
5: my name. Rabar, um, <laughs> Very, it's very funny. <laughs>
4: uh, so the the mm-hmm. narrative, the story of Bernard's life sounds remarkably similar to that of um, Charles Foster Kane yeah. of Citizen Kane, where he's you know dragged well, away from his mother, then he becomes this like you know, I don't well, I don't know if Bernard how wealthy he gets,
5: but. Uh, Sounds super. He I suspect I am almost certain he was one of the men who was kind of the inspiration for Charles Foster Kane, because another man who was an inspiration for Charles Foster Kane was William Randolph Hearst. And at his height, Bernard McFadden is a much more popular publisher than Hearst. Re- his wait. magazines outsell Hearst's publications. Whoa. He is He is for a time, we're getting to this, but he is for a time the number one publisher in the United States of magazines. Like oh no goodness. one else is even, I don't think it's even all that close. Um, he's hugely successful. We are, we are building to that. So okay. in 1912, the Titanic has sank because <laughs> motherfuckers didn't do enough crunches. Um, and his relationship with Susie has fallen apart. The lady that he leaves his wife for in Physical Culture City. In oh, Physical really? Culture City. <laughs> Another failed relationship. I know so he's he's hurting right you know he's in this like rebound period when you're extra vulnerable and you know we all we all make decisions that maybe aren't the things we're proudest of when we're in that like a relationship kind of ended badly (laughs) I think I think we can all be vulnerable enough to admit everybody makes decisions that maybe aren't the things they would they would most want to like celebrate in their lives in that period of time and Bernard is no different but because he's the guy he is he does this in a somewhat grander fashion he goes on a tour of Europe with an ulterior motive to find himself a wife. Now, the way he does this is fucking incredible. He travels to the UK to go on a speaking tour because he's incredibly popular in the United mm-hmm. Kingdom, right? People, every time he does a speech there, it's sold out. He, auditorium's full of people. And his books, which have been banned in the United States, sell like hotcakes over there because he's like, hey, he's got banned in the US for being too obscene. But you you English people, you're advanced and like urbane enough to appreciate mm-hmm. this, this work. Um, mm mm-hmm. So as a major celebrity, he announces a contest. Great Britain's Perfect Woman. Now he frames this as this is a health contest, right? To see like who is the fittest woman in, in Great Britain, like who is the healthiest woman in I Great Britain? I already
2: hate this.
5: Yeah, you're not gonna like it anymore Sorry, after this I'm point, very Sophie. <laughs> So, Uh, obviously, since he's the one running the test and is the great expert on physical culture, he gets to choose the winner. And the prize that the winner wins is a job offer from Bernard McFadden. And I'm going to quote from a write-up by Esquire here. She soon settled into her new career as the co-star of McFadden's Traveling Physical Fitness Show. Billed as the world's healthiest man and woman, the pair performed feats of physical prowess, the highlight of which was Williamson, the woman that he uh, he picks out, Williamson's nightly jump from a seven-foot platform onto McFadden's stomach. It wasn't long before Mary Williamson discovered her biggest prize, and the secret reason for the contest. McFadden was searching for his third wife, and she was the lucky winner. One day, while the pair was halfway through a ten mile run he proposed when she accepted she later recalled he stood on his head for me for one minute and four seconds (laughs) Um, (laughs) fucking incredible guy (laughs) that doesn't that doesn't do it for you Caitlin a guy five miles into a run standing on his head for a minute to celebrate
4: (laughs) I mean the bar has been set now Now that I know this Mm -hmm. don't you dare anyone yeah. Post me, unless you're able to stand on your head for a minute and five
5: seconds. seconds. Yeah. 65 <laughs> seconds. You got to beat 65? him now. Like, that's yeah, the one oh, to beat. Right. Good All right. Point. Get practicing. <laughs> assholes. It is like. It's easier then, I have to think, because she's like, wow, he's not, again, actively dying of typhus. Um, what a what a catch. He can stand on his head and didn't cough up a lung because he's been eating cigars 19 it's... times a day for the last 30 years. <laughs> I
4: mean, isn't that how, like, peacocks select their mate? They're like, ooh, the se- yeah. this is the sexiest one, yeah. so this... I'm going to mate with that one.
5: I mean, I think that's that's more than peacocks do that, but Yeah. <laughs> So as soon as they were married, Bernard started pumping babies into his new bride as a (laughs) eugenicist. What? (laughs) Look, this is no place for prudery, Caitlin.
4: Uh, You're absolutely right. That Mm -hmm. was a prudish response
5: (laughs) for me. (laughs) And you worded that
4: perfectly.
5: Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. No notes. Thank you. As a eugenicist, Bernard believed that he had that the fit had a responsibility to breed in order to fill the world with more genetically perfect children. Oh, no. Um, he lived his creed by giving his wife seven children in 12 years, which is too many. I would say too many. Um,
4: I mean, it's better than 12 children in seven in tw- years.
5: That That is better than 12 and also more possible. I guess I feel you, like you might be able to make it.
4: That, that would be real tricky.
5: It but. would be hard. You would have to really time that shit out careful. He gave them insufferable names. And he may have been the guy who invented insufferable names for your celebrity kids. Ooh. B- Bernice, but spelled B-Y-R-N-E-C-E. Hate it. Uh-huh. Absolutely hate it. <laughs> Berwin, spelled B-E-R-W-Y-N. Um, and yeah, just like Bryce, he has a Bryce, like these fucking,
4: so they're all like vaguely derivatives of his name.
5: Yes, of course. Of Cause just they're a vaguely of, like, derivative and of him. And yeah. yeah. His, okay. his children, he only has these kids so that number one, he can publish magazines about raising kids and so that he can make his kids into celebrities in physical culture magazine and talk wow. about all of his, how, because he's using, he's had all of these different health ideas, right. That he's written about like. You eat this, or you don't eat this, or you, you do this every day, and it'll do this. And he's testing them on his kids. Oh, and no. And he's, like, putting them in the magazine and being like, look, when you starve, your child, look at how strong my boy is. And, like, all of this kind of shit. Which, the um, irony
4: there is alarming, because he was starving as a child. And he was. And know that that didn't work out for him.
5: Yeah, you know, so, he's... Well. Look, people... Do things. Our,
4: our brains work in mysterious ways.
5: Bad ways. Our brains mostly work in bad ways. Yeah. Um. So yeah. He believed baldness uh, for an example of the kind of things that he believed. And, and I should note that while he is testing a bunch of health theories on his children, he also tests all this on himself. Like, in fairness, he's not. Uh, oh, good. Not testing on himself, too. <laughs> so he believed baldness could be cured by tugging on one's hair, which he did regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this made his permanent pompadour look unkempt and vaguely crazy. So his hair is like always shooting out everywhere because he's pulling on it constantly okay. like a man with a scalp condition. He went barefoot at all times, convinced that this kept him in contact with the Earth's magnetic forces. So he's like super rich. He's a millionaire, but he's going to all of these business meetings and political meetings, stuff like barefoot in the middle of like 1900s New York. So which he basically is,
2: has the Edward from Twilight first movie hair.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I run barefoot. I'm, I'm a big advocate of barefoot stuff. Um, there are some places in the world that I was not willing to go barefoot, um, and those included downtown South New Delhi, India. Um, just because like, it didn't seem like a good idea and New York, I have to think like it, I don't think it's a good idea to necessarily always be barefoot when horse shit is 80% of what's on the street, which uh-huh. in New York in like 1910, it absolutely is. Um, mm-hmm. but whatever, he's fine. Um, yeah, he's, it seems <laughs> he's, to work for him. Thriving. Uh, yeah. And despite being incredibly rich, he wore, his, he didn't believe you should, get rid of clothing, so he wore his suits until they were literally rotting off of him. Um, Mm -hmm. So... This man is a millionaire and extremely successful and physically fit, but he also looks like like a super swole hobo. Like he's his clothing is falling apart, his hair is all shooting out everywhere, and he's barefoot. Um, and he also has a habit of challenging other men to fist fights for like no reason at all, constantly. Sometimes on a daily basis, he'll try to get into fist fights with people. So a lot of folks who see him don't realize, oh, that's wealthy publisher Bernard McFadden. They're like, oh, that is a mentally ill vagrant. <laughs> like this this is a man who needs medical <laughs> attention because he's, he's, he's not well. Um, which he would
4: refuse to
5: get. Which he would refuse to get. Um, he also launched a variety of different health foods. My favorite. Oh my god. I have oh. to I don't want to read this to you. I want to show you the ad and you can, you can describe this to our, our audience because it is Hey,
2: okay. I got wait,
4: you. How
5: do I? Oh, thank you, Sophie. Allegedly.
2: Caitlin, can you see it? <laughs>
4: Yes. Look at, um, that. Look at that. Okay, here we go. It's called strength. I believe it's just probably pronounced food. Mm-hmm. Strength but it's- food, but it's spelled food is spelled F U D E. Strength food. Strength. I I like. Upon first glance, I mm-hmm. thought it said fudge. Yeah. So so strength fudge sort of. Um let's see it's
5: called this, the logo is under strength foot is it's different
4: <laughs> it's different <laughs> another another tagline seems to be don't be a weakling
5: yeah and i think that's bernard on the front of the food uh, doing the and, weird
2: uh, like hand
5: showing like, off his biceps doing, don't be a weakling on top of the box
2: doing that, a, doing oh, a schwarzenegger man. pose with the muscles
5: mhm He's not
2: even that swole by today's standards is the thing by today's standards. Well, no, but come on, man.
5: You got to look at like how recently though, today's standards happened. Like you watch them action movies from like the eighties and like it's fucking mid, like overweight dudes in their late forties, um, like, you look at, like, I, I rem, you know, a, a good example of, like, how recently what the definition of being jacked has changed in mm-hmm. the second Indiana Jones movie, the one that everybody prefers to forget because of all the racism. Mm-hmm. Right. There there was going to be, like, this shirtless scene for Harrison Ford. So he got super jacked. They talk about this and like, the behind the scenes that he had to get, like, in crazy good shape in order to, like, do this scene. And he just looks like, like, I, re- you would, I know you very would, well you, what you're yeah. talking
4: about in that. You yeah. would. <laughs>
5: You would cast him today as the guy is like the stoner who doesn't exercise in your right. movie. If he was going to be opposite of like the average looking man who is Kumail Nanjiani with 90 pounds of muscle packed on.
2: Yeah. I do like yeah. that? There is a, a tag like, famous authority on food and
5: hygiene. Mm hmm. Hmm. hygiene was a big word in this period of time. Yeah. The Nazis talk about hygiene mm-hmm. all the time. Racial hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, you're supposed hygiene is often to a negative term food with cream.
2: Yeah. I'm so confused.
5: Yeah. I don't know what it is. I think it's like some sort of porridge. Um, I don't
2: want it, Caitlin. I, mean, I wonder if this is
4: like kind of the original protein powder because it says that
5: yeah, you I think it serve it is. serve it with
4: cream or sugar or sliced bananas and cream. So it sounds like you just like put it into your smoothie. Yeah.
5: Well, it's not really, a, I don't think smoothies science has really been invented yet. Ugh. But he is like, this is definitely like the precursor to like protein I powder like and shit to that muscle it milk. It literally you know?
2: says berries and cream on there. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> berries, com-
4: bananas, and cream. Like, what Bears, is a smoothie besides those like the things? Commercial. The commercial.
2: The berries
5: well, and but cream even, guy. He, there would be people in this period of time who would argue with him that, like, no, fruit's bad for you. Um, mm. Like So he, there again, he's this mix of like absolutely dangerously wrong stuff and also being like, no, you should mostly eat vegetables and fruit and like, you know, maybe avoid red meat, uh, mm. which is good health advice, generally good health advice, um, unless you have an iron deficiency or whatever. But like sure. most, most people who eat red meat eat more of it than is good for their health, including me. So
4: yeah, I don't I, I, I judge it. So.
5: Good. You're probably much healthier as a result. <laughs> Um, I tracked down and slaughtered an entire cow earlier today, and I'm uh-huh. currently wearing its body like a cape and eating it slowly. I
4: was going like to ask a about parasite.
5: that. Yeah. My doctor says I have to stop because I've picked up a ton of different kinds of worms. But, you know, Caitlin, mm. what's life without worms, huh? That's what I have to ask.
4: <laughs> that's what I say every day.
5: That's what I know. I know. That's uh that's my magazine. Worm culture. <laughs>
4: Well, hopefully no one commits worm culture treason against you.
5: Oh, you do not want to know the punishment for worm culture treason, (laughs) Caitlin. It is it's ivermectin. It's actually just ivermectin.
4: Oh, okay. (laughs) All right.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's he's tearing right along. Business is growing at a very fast pace. And then tragedy strikes World War One, which is bad for Bernard McFadden and no one else. Otherwise, a great time, right? I know it's very shocking to hear about World War I being bad for somebody, but it's not great for his business. Interesting. hmm So we finally found one bad thing to say about World War I, which, mm-hmm. you know, this has been a very pro of the first world war podcast. So this is this is hard for me. Um so yeah, his his you know, disposable income people have less money to spend on magazines, right? Um yeah. and a lot of the young men who are gonna be most interested in consuming his content are getting shot with machine guns repeatedly on the Western Front. Yes. Um But Bernard weathered the storm, and in 1919, on the advice of his wife, Mary, he launched a magazine called True Story. Now, this is, yet and again, (laughs) Bernard inventing something that would prove to be one of the most influential cultural decisions in history. Like, it is hard to overstate the influence of this magazine. And in order to help me adequately explain why this is important, I am going to read a quote from American Heritage magazine. True Story was the originator and exemplar of the Confession magazine. Under the credo, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction, the cover of the first issue featured such titles as A Wife Who Awoke in Time, and My Battle with John Barleycorn, An Ex Convicts Climbed to Millions, and How I Learned to Hate My Parents. Basically, the true story formula consisted of first person accounts written in an untutored but clear style of sin and redemption. The sin, usually carnal, was described in some detail, but the The actual consummation nearly always seemed to take place between paragraphs, and was invariably dressed up as a moral lesson. McFadden manipulated the formula masterfully. He knew the illusion of authenticity was essential, so instead of hiring what he called art artists to illustrate the stories, he used staged photographs, featuring such models as the then unknown Friedrich Marsh, Jean Arthur, and Norma Shearer. and he made every contributor sign an affidavit stating that his or her story was indeed true. In 1927, however, after a piece titled The Revealing Kiss used the names of eight actual residents of Scranton, Pennsylvania, who sued McFadden for half a million dollars, he found himself somewhat sheepishly contending that maybe every story wasn't all that true. McFadden turned out to be a crackerjack businessman. His initial inspiration was to charge 20 cents for the magazine, a dime more than the going rate. The first issue sold out. I think, feel confident saying the majority of digital content today is in some way descended from True Story Magazine. This is like half of the internet at least, right? Um, yeah. This is half of television. This is reality TV. This is Jerry Springer and Dear Abby. This is um, mm-hmm. which is I mean, Dear Abby's like a magazine, but this is like everything. This like true confessionals about like scandalous things that happen in real life. That's like most of culture. Yeah. Now. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> and he's he's he invents this. He's the first person to figure out there is a a hunger for this that will never be sated. And I can I can publish this forever. Um he, he is this makes millions of this doll like instantly. Um sure. and within the year he's already spinning this magazine off into other magazines that are just like more focused. He creates true romance, true experiences, true ghost stories, true detective and dream world. So here's how it worked. When Bernard had a major hit with a type of story, so he publishes a couple of different romantic true stories in an issue of true story, and that issue sells really well. He spins off an entire magazine devoted to like true romantic stories. It's basically like the Playboy Confessionals or whatever, or The, the Hustler, whatever one it was. American Heritage goes into more detail here. Quote, And this is about how he, like, runs his publishing empire. A flag flew on the McFadden building for each McFadden publication, and employees would go up to the roof first thing each morning to see if they still had a job. Among the short-lived flags were ones that bore the legend Beautiful Womanhood, whose undoing was an ill-conceived, scathing attack on spinsters, and brain power, whose title apparently suggested to readers that they were somehow lacking in that department. So he's, like, A-B testing. So he, he puts up a flag for every different magazine he launches, and if it doesn't sell well he takes it down. that's how you know you've lost your job that like this magazine Uh, has been canceled like (sighs) but he's he's doing like again what every publisher does today he like he is effectively running a a massive internet publication he's doing BuzzFeed in like Mm -hmm. 1920 like that's like what this is effectively Um, he's just launching different verticals he's he's like I don't know I worked for years in an industry that was largely defined by Bernard McFadden without ever knowing his name um,
4: and it sounds like, yeah, this is all like very clickbaity stuff,
5: yeah. too, by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Bernard McFadden would have made all of the money in the world off of the internet.
4: Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow.
5: Um, He would be eating, he would be on Joe Rogan's podcast twice a fucking week. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or he would have just eaten Joe Rogan to gain his powers. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: so my projection of him just being like an Abercrombie model gym bro, I, that was yeah. not right. He wow. Turns no, he's, he's actually, a he is like businessman.
5: He's closer to the Gawker guys, except for, I think he probably would have been friends with Hulk Hogan rather than getting into a legal fight with him. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, Bernard's personal life was seemingly more stable at this point, uh, but his obsessive need to test his theories, paired with his reckless belief in his own ideas, led to tragedy in his personal life. This is the baby killing. Yeah. Yeah, I I see that excitement just lighting up your (laughs) face, Caitlin. We all love a good dead. (sighs) I am ecstatic. No. Good. In the spring of 1921, Mary got pregnant with yet another child. Now, Bernard had written articles earlier about several theories he had on sex determination, right? How to make determine the, the sex of your child. And this is like, uh, historically, yeah. right? This is a th- constant thing. People have these theories about like, if you do this, if you make her lay this way or eat this oh, yeah. kind of food, you know, she'll have a, ba- a boy or a daughter. Like, this is a whole... He's not the first person who tries to do this. You know, this goes back yeah. as long as there have been... The idea of patrilineal um, um whatever, like right. passing on a property and shit. Um, one of his ideas was that boys were more often born to mothers who were starving. So during all of her previous pregnancies, he'd starved his wife, but she'd kept having girls. Gee whiz. Yeah. Isn't that a bummer? <laughs>
4: I uh, I'm nope I wasn't even I'm not going to make the joke I was so going to make he go he on came,
5: he comes to the conclusion that all of the starving he'd done previously was cumulative and he'd probably primed her to have a, a boy at this point so now he made her eat a bunch of roast beef during this pregnancy so that's at least like better than starving her right yeah force-feeding your pregnant wife roast beef instead of making her starve. That's an improvement. He's grown. <laughs> he's, he, has he's he has not. He's not grown. He, <laughs> he, he has not at all. In late December, with the baby near due, Bernard was so happy uh, and the, with both the fact that he was about to have another kid and with the success of True Story, that he held a company holiday party, allowing his employees to smoke and drink to their heart's content, even during Prohibition. He was, I'll say this, he doesn't drink, he thinks no one should, but he's also like a libertarian, so he's, he hates prohibition. He doesn't think the government should be telling people what to do, which okay. I can respect that as like a anyway, we're about to talk about how maybe he killed his baby, so whatever. <laughs> when he came home from the party, he found his wife in labor and since he couldn't reach a midwife and again there are phones. Not a lot of people are phone connected at this point. Like it is, uh, I, he can't but he's really, he's a millionaire. You'd imagine, you'd imagine he could have set this up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but he can't get a midwife on the horn and obviously he's not going to call a fucking doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. so he delivers the child himself. Uh-oh. Um, his wife gives birth to a boy named Byron, which Bernard confusingly claimed meant that his theory about starving pregnant women was correct because he'd starved her so much before, even though he hadn't <laughs> starved her for this baby. Right. He's not really scientific. <laughs> Huh? Wait. I I would say what? maybe that's questionable logic. <laughs> <laughs> so he forced an immediate announcement of the boy's birth into physical culture magazine, and he only grudgingly allowed a doctor to enter his home and put 15 stitches in his wife after she repeatedly begged him. So for hours, she's bleeding in oh, an agony and is oh like, gosh. please let me have a fucking doctor. I'm ripped open. Let me like. Please. And finally, because he, I mean, for one thing, he doesn't want anyone to know that he'd have a doctor for anything, right? Right. You shouldn't get, you shouldn't get torn open. You should, if you're doing enough physical culture, if you're doing enough dumbbell squats or whatever, you you shouldn't, you 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 shouldn't rip open, you know, when you're pregnant. (laughs) Um, I'm, that's what he's saying, obviously. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, he eventually does like yield to his screaming wife, like screaming, not as in like Hectoring, if it is in like dying of blood loss and allows right. a doctor to come in and put 15 stitches in her. He refuses though, to allow her any anesthetic or painkiller. <gasps> no. Yeah, I know. Right. Kind of sucks. Right. Oh, what a piece of shit. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, Look, this is this is a sympathetic start to the Bernard Mcfadden story. We are past the point of sympathy now. Yes. <laughs> um So, for almost a year, things are okay though. Um and he's like He puts this kid, this son of his, he's so proud to have a son. Every week, there's an article about how strong and like good and like, look, he's growing up so much stronger than other boys. And like, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. He's going to be the healthiest boy and he's going to be the healthiest man who ever lived. And like, this is like a huge fact of that. He almost pivots the magazine to focus on his son's development. So a year later, the December of the next year after his kid's born, when Byron is about one year old, tragedy strikes. And I'm going to quote from the biography, Mr. America here. 11-month-old Byron, known within the family as Billy, was seated on his mother's lap. Suddenly, Billy tensed up, threw his head back, and began to contort his body as if overcome by a seizure. Bernard demanded that the infant be stripped and dunked in a steaming hot bath. Mary recalled that the water's temperature was so hot that she couldn't keep her hand submerged. Though it is impossible to know the cause of Billy's fit, many common childhood seizures are now known to be brought on by fever, so a hot bath as treatment was probably ill-advised at best. The baby's spasms continued. Mary snatched him out of the water and screamed, burn for the love of Christ. Call a doctor. Billy died in her arms. (gasps) Yeah. And again, Mm -hmm. this is the 1920s, right? So a baby having a seizure it is entirely possible by the time that baby started seizing, it was already essentially dead because medical science, maybe not great, mm. but also a lot of babies had different kind of seizure disorders and have, or have seizures because of a, 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 a fever and get better. There was medicine, especially that a rich person could have gotten. Like if he had taken his child to the best medical care available, there's a good chance they w- the baby would have survived. It's absolutely guaranteed that dunking a seizuring baby in almost boiling hot water is not going to help.
4: So I think we can safely say that the, you know, he maybe killed a baby. He maybe killed is, his baby. Yeah. He definitely probably definitely killed his baby.
5: <laughs> he we can't say for certain that he killed yeah. his baby. We can say for certain that he made that eleven month old child's last moments be of horrible confusion and pain submerged in near boiling water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Which is I would say bad parenting. I'm not an expert. I don't have a kid. I try not to like talk about what you should do with your kids, but I feel like, and again, excuse me, parents in the audience who are going out on a limb here. It's bad to dunk your baby in steaming water while they're having a seizure. Sure. I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going, I'm, I'm do, getting into Joe Rogan territory, you know, giving health advice, I'm not qualified to give, but <laughs> that, that's my opinion. Don't mm-hmm. don't do force that. your baby into steaming water while it's having a seizure. Maybe not a good idea. You know who else f- forces babies into... S- wait, who doesn't? You know who doesn't ever do the thing that I just talked about?
2: Oh, Robert. Who? I... Uh,
5: I don't know. The products and services that support this podcast. Maybe. 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 Maybe, maybe. maybe, maybe. Oh. So What?
2: you heard me I think I think what I what I said was heard
5: well we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors
0: happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride in the queer community all year
5: Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And we're back. Sophie's very proud of me. Everything's fine. So... Bernard McFadden, if you know Bernard at this point, Caitlin, and I think we know Bernard at this point,
4: I feel like he's a close personal friend, by he's now.
5: got he's got his ideas about things, right? He's got <laughs> ideas about everything. He had ideas about how to deal with a kid's health issues. And he has ideas about how to deal with grieving. Do you know um, what? Do you know what? I would he, guess
4: he, you he would he would think that um, the best way to deal with grieving is to starve yourself.
5: Kind of. He definitely doesn't want people to eat much, but no, it's walking for hours at a time in the freezing snow. Oh. Okay. His whole family. He's changing. It up. Yeah, his whole family. Um, so he just has them walk for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. hours. Um, and yeah, now again, he had spent the better part of a year writing articles about how healthy his son was and how this is all due to his different nutrition theories. So the fact that his son had died, that's bad for business, you know? Yeah. That's not not going to go good for you. Well, yeah, that's not going to go good for you. So Uh, I, uh, Jesus, this is such a bleak story. (laughs) So he doesn't publish anything. And in fact, he just like stops working. And you know, Bernard at this point, like that's not something he does. So he stops putting in articles. He stops doing anything. Like his editors are just running the magazines for a while and he forces his wife to walk 200 miles to Manhattan with him, carrying their luggage all the way in the snow. that's how he he, that's how not it's one thing if that's how you deal with grieving that's actually I can I could honestly see like I the last time I was heavily grieving I would run like 80 miles a week like I get that idea Mm -hmm. forcing your wife to walk 200 miles in the snow so that because she has to grieve the same way that's the fucked Mm -hmm. up and the fact that he probably killed his baby um so when he in the middle of this 200 mile walk, uh, they get to Greenwich, Connecticut, and he convinces his wife to try again for a son. So he's like, as she's grieving and exhausted, is like, I got to make another put another boy into you. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually they get back to the office and he writes an editorial about his son's death. you going to guess who he blames for it? I would guess his his wife, his wife. Oh, Caitlin, it's like you have a lot of experience with toxic men. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Here's what he wrote. Billy was often overfed. I protested on numerous occasions, but my protest was not vigorous enough. Anyway, I believed the boy was so strong that he would overcome mistakes of that nature. And, And it is so hard to combat the tendencies of mother love. I also somewhat blame myself for neglecting his exercises.
4: So he blames his wife for feeding their baby too much.
5: Yep. Yeah, and... he didn't starve that baby enough.
4: Gosh. And also, he's making his baby do exercises.
5: <laughs> yeah, he makes everything do exercises. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Can a baby at that age, eleven months? I mean, I'm. I don't know. They
5: probably should. I mean, in, they in, crawl to, even? to the extent that like crawling is an exercise? Yeah, it's good for them to exercise. Like in terms of like it's good for babies to like. Move and learn how to use their body slowly. Sure. Uh, But, like, I don't know. They're babies. They're not. They don't really have bones for the most part. Yes.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Their motor skills aren't great. (laughs) Their organs, I feel like, are still kind of developing. Yeah. You know?
5: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like exercise. I feel like if you're trying to make a baby exercise, the odds are good that you will wind up hurting the baby.
4: Sure. Definitely.
5: Yeah, because they're babies. Baby, they're little babies. Because <laughs> they're babies. Babies. You know? <laughs> they're mostly just supposed to like roll around and, and poop mm-hmm. and and poop and occasionally yeah. crawl and um, be
2: babies.
5: And be babies they're not supposed to hit the gym <laughs> get under that bench
2: but it does make you feel real you're deadlift you can
5: barely deadlift lifting. what the fuck is wrong with you baby you baby yeah. keep your back straight <laughs> wow
4: they're babies they don't, mm-hmm. they don't they're babies do that. Stop being so soft.
5: Look at how the shitty baby. this baby's pull-ups are. He's barely getting halfway to the bar.
2: I mean, like, how embarrassing that, like, a baby would be better at pull-ups, though, than, mm-hmm. like, say me. You know? Yeah.
5: Well, they don't have a lot of, like, body, so that would make it easier. But also, their arms are not really muscles yet. They're just kind of like noodles, so yeah. that would make it harder. Noodly little baby. I don't know. I'll start a gym for babies. We'll see if it's a good idea. Ooh. Yeah. So within a decade, by the late 1920s, Bernard had amassed a fortune of more than $30 million, mm. which today would be like $400 million. So he makes a shitload of money. Yeah. Um, he was at the absolute height of his success. But after time, this too grew frustrating. Bernard was the peak of publishing influence. He had more readers on a monthly basis than anyone else in the United States, including William Randolph Hearst. Mm-hmm. But being on top also means you've kind of reached the limit, right? There's really nowhere for him to grow. He's the biggest publisher. Yeah. So the only thing he could think of to do to expand his audience and become even more influential was become the President of the United States.
4: What? I did not see yeah, this coming, that yeah. he's going to try to run for President.
5: Mm-hmm. We talk about this in the John McAfee episodes with the great Lacey Mosley, but like, mm -hmm. you know, when you are a certain kind of white man who has had one of those careers where no one ever says no and you just keep doing ridiculous things and being successful at them, you will eventually try to become the president.
4: I mean, I look at what happened recently.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look at what's going to happen when I run in 2024. On a platform of making America like the unnamed island nation that I rule with an iron fist. It's going to be great, Caitlin. Yeah, I can't wait. Mm -hmm. Neither can America. So... Um, He decides he's going to become the president. Uh, now, his wife later claimed that he started to dream of this career in 1914 uh, when at the eve of World War One, he suggested that wrestling would be a good way to solve political conflicts, which I actually think would be incredible. I'm a 100 percent in agreements with Bernard about this. He says, quote, Political contests that derive their support through advocating physical culture reforms will, I believe, become a reality in the not far distant future. And he's wrong about this. But my God, it would have been so good if like Kaiser Wilhelm and fucking uh, uh Tsar Nicholas and whatever the French president's name and the fucking king of England had all had to like fist fight. That would have been so much better. If every war, if George Bush and like uh Saddam Hussein had had a cage match. Mm. I feel confident saying we would think fondly on the Iraq war. Yeah. It was that time. George Bush got stabbed in the eye by Saddam Hussein. That was funny as hell. <laughs> Can you believe he thought Saddam wouldn't pull a knife in a fist fight? What an idiot.
4: <laughs> wow. Okay.
5: Uh, yeah. Barack, Barack Hussein Obama and John McCain, just like street fighting. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 wailing on each other while fucking uh joe biden and uh uh what what's her name the the governor of alaska um sarah Palin. Per- yeah like have a chain fight my god oh it would be so much better
4: oh sure sure
5: yeah everything I mean, would be better
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay good i see your point i see your yeah. point
5: yeah Um, World War II might have gone worse because I do not think FDR would have been able to beat Hitler in a in a in a in a street fight.
4: (sighs) Mm.
5: Yeah. So there's limits to this. (laughs) We would have needed to elect Bernard McFadden president. (laughs) Uh, He could have taken on Hitler, Um, (laughs) although he might not have wanted to, as we'll get to. So. Uh. Bernard decides he's going to become president. Um, And in the mid 1920s, so at first he thinks like inevitably the progress of physical culture, because I'm getting so popular so quickly by in another 10 years, everyone will agree that the strongest man in the country should be president. And then I'll be president because I'm the strongest man. That does not happen. And so in the mid 1920s, Bernard decides to launch a magazine dedicated to making him into a serious intellectual and political figure. So he's very successful at this point, but he is not a serious person. He is seen as like a a silly tabloid publisher, right? Like he's putting out kind of sleazy material and that is how he's viewed. He's sure. like, there are people like uh, within the exercise world who take his health ideas somewhat seriously, but he generally, like the mainstream media, kind of laughs at him. And again, not unlike Donald Trump, to be honest. Right. In 1924, he launches another magazine. This one is dedicated to make him into a serious political figure, and it's called the New York Graphic. Though he was attempting to, you know, again, kind of establish like a New York Times analog that will give him respect, mm-hmm. his, the New York Graphic immediately becomes like like the tackiest scandal sheet in the country. That said, it also employs some of the biggest names in American media history. At early stages of their career, Walter Winchell and Ed Sullivan both get their start writing for The Graphic. Um okay.
4: I'm sure Ed Sullivan I'm who like to helps to in- who
5: those people Ed like. Sullivan like almost cr- helps to create he's like a precursor to Carson like he helps to create the idea of like the 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 like late night kind of variety show uh-huh. type thing Right Um a lot of like the biggest musicians in the rock and roll era get their start on the Ed Sullivan show Right Um most of the titles uh of of graphic articles were lurid to say the least one was two women in fight one stripped other eats bad check um i have i kind of love that one don't (laughs) really know what to expect from that article but it sounds fascinating Sure. My favorite thing about the graphic is that it's yet another example of Bernard inventing something that would later become hugely influential. The Bernard creates Photoshop, kind of. Um, He invents for his magazine a graphic design technique called Composographs. These are staged composite photos where he'll have celebrities. You know who he's had celebrities or or he's had um, people posing for photos and articles about like true crime, Mm -hmm. which you can see is kind of a precursor to like reenactments and like unsolved yeah. mysteries and stuff. Yeah. Well, so a big part of the New York graphic is like stories about celebrities getting in like legal trouble or having divorces or all this stuff. And in order to illustrate these, cause he can't get photos of the celebrities, he hires models and he has them pose as whatever the celebrities were doing. Mm-hmm. And then he basically has a picture of the face of that celebrity superimposed over the head of the model.
4: Okay.
5: Yeah, he's like photoshopping celebrities into like, like lurid scenes in order to sell newspapers. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And he invents this new technique uh, for the first time to cover a celebrity divorce trial. Leonard Kip Rhinelander was a millionaire who was suing his bride of one month over the fact that she'd hidden that she was part black. Um, This is the 20s, you know. Um, because this was a racist time, her response to this was to deny the charges in court by stripping to the waist. Obviously, number one, these are famous people. Number two, a woman has stripped in court. This is big news, right? Mm. Sure. Like this is a huge story. And the graphic used its first composograph to illustrate the moment where this famous woman strips in court without actually having photographs of it. And circulation leaps to a hundred thousand people, like over or by a hundred thousand people overnight mm-hmm. as a result of this. Mm-hmm. Now, the graphic was influential and popular, but it was also too trashy to get much purchase among advertisers. It was a lot of people bought it, but it wasn't profitable because it was expensive to make and no one would advertise in it. And by the time it ended in 1932, Bernard had lost more than $11 million on the venture. And this gives you an idea of how much money he's willing to light on fire in the hope of establishing a political career for himself. That is like half of the money in the world at this point. (laughs) Mm hmm.
4: Yeah, what an investment that uh, miserably failed for him.
5: He doesn't give up, though. In 1929, he commissions three biographies about himself. Now, this was a new idea at the time. A wannabe presidential candidate paying to have a biography written by a ghostwriter in order to drum up interest in his campaign. Every single candidate does that now, right? Like, 100% of people who run for president have a book published about them, like, that they supposedly write, you know? Right. Bernard invents this. As far as I can tell, he's the first guy to do this. Um, Again, a visionary.
4: (laughs) Truly.
5: He is living in the 21st century in 19 fucking 29.
4: (laughs) Uh, I mean, good for him.
5: Yeah. Unfortunately, he's not living in any of the good parts of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, uh, these books were obviously trash. Uh, one invited readers to quote, study him as he governs a whole community of employees that is like a little city. See, he can run a magazine, so he's clearly ready to run the country. Um, I mean, he did run that one little city yeah, until not everyone well. committed
4: treason against yeah, him. Yeah,
5: physical culture treason. <laughs> <laughs> so, these are not well regarded by uh, reviewers, these books. Uh, the American Heritage article that I've been reading from cites an H.L. Minken review. Quote, the authors of these brochures do not spare the goose grease. Poor McFadden chokes and gurgles on it in every one of their 825 pages. I can recall no more passionate anointing of a living man. He appears as a hero without a wart, spiritual or temporal, sworn only to save us from the medical trust and make us strong enough to lift a piano with our bare hands.
4: Wait, one of these biographies is over 800 pages long.
5: Yeah. Yeah. He's Again, cool. they'll dial it in By the time Pete Buttigieg is getting his Vanity biography published, we've gotten much Better at it, you know mm-hmm. Great <laughs> While the graphic had no luck establishing Bernard as a political name, it was influential in getting Jimmy Walker elected mayor of New York City. Unfortunately for Bernard, Mayor Walker refused to appoint McFadden City Commissioner of Health, which Bernard was hoping would jumpstart his political career. The new mayor argued that while Bernard's ideas on health were good, nobody actually wanted to live that way. Um, <laughs> despite this, by the mid-1930s, Bernard was more successful than ever. Circulation of his magazines topped $7.3 million people, which, again, beats every other publisher in the country. As time went on, some of the most influential people in world history would write columns for Bernard's magazines. Winston Churchill, Eleanor Roosevelt, Margaret Sanger, Mahatma Gandhi, and Adolf Hitler. <laughs> oh. Okay, so the Hitler article was not technically a column. His editor had interviewed Hitler in 1923, and when Hitler started rising to power in the early 30s, they published this interview as a column because that's like the the sexier way to advertise it. And the column is it's titled as if Hitler wrote it. It's titled "When I Take Charge of Germany." (laughs) Um, By the way, for an example of again the way Bernard. Does this sort of thing. So the article that Gandhi writes or quote unquote writes is mm-hmm. titled My Sex Life by Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. It's about celibacy, but like that's not how you sell that article, right? Like, yeah.
4: Wow. He, so, he <laughs> fucking amazing. Really spin a story. Mm-hmm.
5: You know who else talks a lot about Mahatma Gandhi's sex life, Caitlin? Is it? the products and services that we will not not period bring in a sponsor if they don't talk to us for a solid 30 minutes about how they think Mahatma Gandhi might have fucked that's the behind the bastards guarantee
2: it is not
5: this is why we have so few sponsors they just can't hang
4: yeah sorry Yeah. I mean I don't know what to say about it
5: There's nothing to say.
0: (laughs) Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com Focus
3: Features presents Back to Black
5: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles
3: Experience the music and her story
5: Know this, I ain't no spice girl
3: Like never before That's
2: my daughter, that's my Amy
3: (laughs) On the big screen
2: I
4: want
6: to be remembered
3: for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: at purdueglobal.edu
5: uh we're back and we're just having a great time how are you how are you doing caitlin i'm doing well i've
4: heard a lot of Mm -hmm. information about bernard
5: he's Um, a fascinating man he's a
4: fascinating (laughs) fellow uh i and it keeps You know, there's peaks and valleys Mm -hmm. as as far as, you know, his conduct in his life. And Mm -hmm. uh, but I continue to be amazed at some of his choices. So you're you're keeping me on the edge of my seat.
5: Yep. Well, (laughs) let's talk about how he got Franklin Delano Roosevelt elected. So in 1931, he bought an existing magazine called Liberty, which was Compared to his other publications, fairly respectable, like a, it's a politics and culture publication. Mm-hmm. So he immediately starts writing editorial columns for this on topics as broad as organized crime and the importance of returning Americans to farming. In 1932, in the wake, in the like midst of the Great Depression, FDR starts his run for president and Liberty Magazine backs FDR's candidacy. Now, one of the chief questions of the election was whether or not the aging polio victim was capable of handling the physical strains of the presidency, right? Like that is a big question. Like, can he do the job? He's Mm. dying of polio or post-polio or whatever. As America's best known fitness nut, Bernard McFadden was in a unique position to allay people's suspicions because people do listen to what he has to say about fitness. So if one of his publications gives FDR a clean bill of health, that means something. As Liberty's publisher, he had the magazine sponsor a medical examination of Roosevelt by several doctors, even though Bernard is on record as saying that doctors are awful of shit. In this case, they might have been because they said FDR was in perfect health, which he absolutely was not in. (laughs) But this article saying that FDR was in great health um, is a big like has a a significant role in the election. Mark Adams, Bernard's biographer writes, the biggest doubt about the Roosevelt campaign vanished almost overnight. And that is broadly speaking, I don't know, probably good. I mean, FDR complicated history, shall we say, to to say the least uh, in a number of ways. Um, But, Within the context of Bernard's career, I will say this is a positive moment because we're about to talk about how big a fan he was of fascism. See Uh-oh. Bernard, McFe- yeah, yeah, oopsie another, toodles. Um,
4: another thing. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I could have. You know, the threads are there to to yeah to arrive at this point, but I am still a little surprised. So. Once again, thanks for keeping me on the edge of my seat.
5: No, it's all it's all thanks to Bernard. So (laughs) Bernard is both a product of his culture and a culture creator. And as the U.S. went, you know, real into eugenics in the 20s and 30s, -hmm. so did he. He had his paid columnists write glowing articles about eugenics, one of which included this paragraph. Eugenics is the mightiest comet that ever came skidding into the little solar system of human thought. Suppose we are breeding for a sound mind and a sound body and have formulated a scheme of judging the applicants with a score system, not unlike that which they glade the Orpingtons at the country fair. Here is A1. Her score is 95 and three quarters, the best applicant in the lot for the high and holy functions of motherhood. In essence, he's saying, We ought to judge ladies like we judge pigs. Hmm.
4: Which uh, fine by me. <laughs>
5: uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, not at all problematic. Feminist icon Bernard McFadden. Yeah. Who, oh my gosh.
4: Yeah. Oh, keto. And this? And specifically on like the criteria of like how? Yeah. Um. How good they would be at like m- bearing children. Yeah. Well, what else is there? Well, what else is if you've uh, yeah, got a exactly.
5: uterus? <laughs> yeah. What uh, <laughs> other function can you serve? That, that's what Bernard McFadden would. Probably shout at you while using an exercise bike. Um, (laughs) I found a paper by the Stark Center for Physical Culture and Sports Studies at the University of Texas. They describe McFadden's beliefs as soft eugenics because he's not he doesn't spend a lot of time. He's not talking about like races. He's not spending a lot of time being like the Aryans need to do. We need to get rid of the Jews. Like that's Mm -hmm. not really his thing. His thing is more healthy people need to breed and we need okay. to raise up people to be healthy and strong so that they can breed more healthy and strong people. So it's like I'm not very ableist saying that's like, eugenics. Yes. It's not good. I'm just like, it's not, it, it, it's, there's different kinds of eugenics. That's sure. kind of the one that he lands on. Yeah. Um, in his hatred of modernity and he blames modernity for all of the health problems that people have. Um, and in his obsession with perfect bodies, he lands right in the crosshairs of a lot of fascist theory. When Benito Mussolini took power in Italy, he emphasized physical training as a way to prepare young people for all the fighting they were going to have to do as foot soldiers of fascism. Italy's war record shows how successful this plan was. Um, Bernard absolutely loved this idea. From the Stark Center, quote, In 1932, readers of Physical Culture magazine, then with a circulation in the hundreds of thousands, were greeted with an unusual interview. Past magazine issues featured everyone from George Bernard Shaw to Upton Sinclair. But this was the first time a self-proclaimed fascist appeared. The man was Benito Mussolini, the leader of Italy. Since Mussolini's rise to power in 1922, McFadden had kept a close eye on Il Duce's love of sport. Mussolini was detailed a subject deemed to be of utmost national importance, physical culture. On this point, Mussolini found a Captive audience. Throughout the 1930s, Bernard McFadden attempted, ultimately in vain, to enter American politics through a presidential bid. His guiding focus was a belief in the importance of personal hygiene, health, and strength. This quest, which ultimately proved unsuccessful, explained Mussolini's appearance in Physical Culture magazine. Months prior to Il Duce's article, McFadden traveled to Europe as part of President Hoover's Conference on Child Health and Protection. McFadden himself seems to have had no solid set of political beliefs, focusing primarily on issues of health above all else. He unsuccessfully Successfully ran as a Republican candidate in 1936, but later attempted to gain a position in Democratic President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's office. It was during this trip to Europe that McFadden crossed paths with Mussolini. United, it seemed, in their appreciation for fitness, a deal was struck, the contents of which were revealed to physical culture's readers. So he's political in that he thinks everyone should be jacked all the time and he likes fascism because fascism also wants everyone to be jacked all the time right that's that's his entry and that's uh-huh. his article that he lets Benito Mussolini write is on the importance of physical culture for like national identity and they enter into a deal which they detail in this article and the deal is that Benito gives Bernard personal responsibility for training 40 Italian naval cadets these men are brought to New York they're trained under McFadden and they're inculcated in American popular culture. Culture. The experiment lasts six months, and it's the subject of a number of articles in physical culture. The ultimate message of the experiment, in McFadden's eyes, is that fascism builds healthier, stronger people through good physical culture, and the U.S. should emulate Italy in this. The Italian cadets are often used as a foil. They're contrasted with the lazy Americans who have unhealthy diets. Now, After six months in the United States, these Italian naval cadets all showed improvements in strength and the growth of muscles. Bernard claimed that this was evidence fascism could work its wondrous physical effects, even in the United States. From the Stark Center. McFadden stopped short of saying Italy was superior to the United States, but his writings included wishful appraisals of the Italian state and claims that America had much to learn. According to McFadden, his Italian sojourn was a success. This explained, or so it was claimed, why the Portuguese government extended a similar invitation to McFadden in 1932, the same year Antonio de Oliveira Salazar assumed control of the state. A military dictatorship existed in Portugal from 1926, but Salazar's rise to power marked an intensification of authoritarianism alongside a growing cult of personality. Salazar's government shared, at least somewhat, Mussolini's admiration of strong and healthy bodies. Mauricio Drummond's study of sport in Salazar's regime explained that, although Salazar rarely expressed an interest in sport, he used it for political purposes. So, he winds up working for two different fascist dictators... (laughs) establishing, like, a physical culture for their young people. And in in Portugal, Salazar, this dictator, gives him a few dozen children, which he's able to put on a compound, which he calls McFadden Children's Colony, and he sets them up with a a vegetarian diet and a workout program. And Bernard claims, again, in his magazine, that that this is so successful, it turns their, quote, dull and stupid little faces alert and interested.
4: What? Uh, okay, let me just take a moment to uh, <laughs> to just comprehend all of that. Okie dokie. Lot
5: going on there, huh?
4: There's a lot to unpack and I don't know if my brain can do it at this time. But Yeah.
5: <laughs> just... There's a lot going on with mm-hmm. this with this episode. Um <laughs>
4: The Jesus twists, Christ. the turns.
5: They keep coming. I, can, they keep I coming. can barely keep up. Oh, there's actually another one at the end of this paragraph. Oh, so, goodness. He's so happy with how this Portugal experiment goes that he co-authors a book about the experiment with um a... a, a who we'll call a prominent author. Do you want to guess who it is? I, what 30s author do you think he'd pick? Oh,
4: my... God.
5: Faulkner. I don't know. (laughs) Does the name Thomas Dixon mean anything to you? No. Thomas Dixon wrote a book called The Klansman, which was the basis of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation.
4: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
5: Also, what I'm... Amazing.
4: (laughs) Was Faulkner writing stuff in the 30s, or am I not, uh, am I, do, do I not know anything cause
5: been... oh jeez I don't know I'm bad at he's I'm bad at authors um, it's the same, I he, was, clearly. he was dead by then right Why uh, not? who
4: knows um, okay yeah. so the guy who wrote the thing that, um Birth of a Birth Nation of was Nation adapted was ri- from yeah.
5: he writes a book about how good it is to train fascist kids to be fascists uh huh through exercise and vegetarianism <laughs> Whoopsie doodles. As the 1930s wore on, McFadden became an anti-war activist, which, you know, is a positive connotation now. But if you're an anti-war activist in the 30s, it means you don't think that anything should be done to stop fascism. Like that's that's what the anti-war movement in the U.S. generally is in this period is like, why would we go to war against Hitler? He seems like a good chap.
4: He's doing just great and we Mm -hmm. should not challenge him. Yeah.
5: Now, by 1938, to his somewhat credit, Bernard comes around on the issue, likely because he sees public opinion shifting, and he becomes pro-war, turning out monthly calls for his readers to exercise in order to defend their nation. 1941, the year that the U.S. gets into the war, is the year things fall apart for Bernard. Minority stakeholders in his company charge that he's used company funds to pay for his political campaigns. He's forced to sell all of his interest in the business and step down as president. Physical Culture was turned into a women's magazine as his, as he left. Um, it didn't do particularly yeah. <laughs>
2: He okay, doesn't like
5: that. It also doesn't do very well. Aww. Um, but the media landscape's changed a bit by this point. By the end of the war, McFadden's marriage to Mary was also at its end. A wedge had been driven between them when he blamed her for their son's tragic death. (laughs) She divorced him and a long and brutal legal battle ensued. At the end of it, she published a book about how much her ex-husband sucked. In a final middle finger to him, she dedicated her autobiography to the doctors who had helped ease the pain of childbirth, which is the meanest thing you could do to Bernard.
4: Yeah. She thanked a doctor?
5: (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) After I let her get stitches eventually. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Huh. I mean, Um, I I like that. I like that for her.
5: The book contains a number of allegations, including that Bernard caused her a miscarriage by forcing her to work out incessantly while she was pregnant. Mm. So, good guy. A write-up from American Heritage ably describes the remainder of the former publishing titan's life. Auden later wrote of Edward Lear that he became a land. Bernard McFadden became a press release. In the last 18 years of his life, he was featured in Time, which dubbed him Body Love, or Newsweek 18 times. He ran for the Senate in Florida. He conducted innumerable fasts and hikes. He offered a prize for the best biographical play about his life. In 1949, at the age of 81, he took up parachuting and thereafter tried to make a jump each year on his birthday, claiming that his third wife had humiliated him by losing using her figure he married a woman of 42 she later had the marriage annulled in 1953 he declared his acceptance of the nomination of the honest party for mayor he pledged a business administration that would make sales tax unnecessary eliminate traffic congestion and obtain double deck subway cars he also promised to purge the city of communists so he keeps doing the same thing his whole life but he's less influential he doesn't have a bunch of magazines nobody really gives a shit sure.
4: Also, he lives quite long. He
5: lives a long life. Look, he's (laughs) not wrong about all of the things that he's saying. There's some things he gets very right and he lives a long, healthy life as a result of it. He remains in good health into his early 80s, which suggests that, again, some of the stuff he's saying is not bullshit. He celebrated his 81st birthday by jumping out of an airplane while wearing a full suit. He repeated this stunt on his 82nd and 83rd birthdays. By 1955, though, age had started to take its toll. In October, he came down with a urinary blockage, which he tried to cure by fasting. This did not work, and he resigned himself to going to a hospital where he died. Mm. Oh. Yep. That's it. That's the end. That's all the Bernard what McFadden an we get. an
4: anticlimactic ending for Bernard! Well, I know, right? Most people,
5: it's generally is not everybody has the whole the whole <laughs> Hitler. You know,
2: he's like, all right, I'll go to the. All right, I'm dead. All right, bye.
5: Yeah, well, oh my! He was goodness. proved right in the end. Going to the hospital got him killed real quick. <laughs> and that's the message of today's episode. Don't go to the hospital.
2: That's not the message of today's episode, Robert.
5: I think that is the message of today's hospital episode. <laughs> Hospitals are bad. No. Don't go. Um, them.
2: No,
4: I am befuddled about everything I've
2: learned here today. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And on that note, Caitlin, pluggables. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Um, hmm.
4: Well, since I brought it up earlier, uh, you can listen to a podcast that I did a little bit of and then um, abandoned because I'm not nearly as uh, ambitious as Bernard. But I did do uh, a podcast called Sludge: An American Healthcare Story, uh, in which I the first season is me detailing my Uh, experience with having gallstones, AKA sludge, sludge balls and, um, and all the chaos that ensued from that, um, and then I did a few other episodes about other people's stories, but then I got too busy and I abandoned that effort. But the podcast I haven't abandoned is the Cast, So check Yay. that out. Uh, it's a movie podcast because I am able to talk way. Um, I, I'm better at talking about movies than I am about healthcare care stuff. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Caitlin Durante.
2: Yay.
5: Yay! <laughs> well that's everything we have to say about everything forever this has been the last episode of behind the bastards um i am quitting in order to start my own magazine about how if you do enough crunches and stop your wife from eating all of your babies will be supermen
2: mm-hmm. no
5: Sophie, you could have a cush gig as the executive publisher of my new magazine, Starve Your Baby Digest.
2: No. Yeah. Gonna, gonna politely All say. All right.
5: Well. Nah. Well. You just turned down a million dollars, but okay.
2: That's okay. Moral. My morals are worth more.
5: Well, mine aren't.
2: I know that. <laughs>
5: oh, have a good night, everybody.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
5: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.
0: What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun.